upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Okay. Dear God, we just pray that this day that that you deliver your words of truth and just keep me from error in the words that I say today. In Jesus' name, amen. The verse in the middle of this is 51.7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There's a lot there. thought about cutting it in half. But it's two parallel things, so it'll take just as long. Um, we'll start with We'll just break this down. There aren't very many words here. First one, purge. We have the two parallel words, purge and then wash. You know, the way purge is used in the Bible is, is to cleanse or to purify. It, it doesn't have a, the medical meaning that we sometimes have today. And it's the Hebrew word... It's an intensification of the word for burn. So it's 
it, it has that, that flavor to it. Purify something with fire. Burn it. Burn the impurity away. Remove the dross. Um, I'm going to read a few verses from Leviticus. Actually, it's where this, this verse refers back to it in many ways. Leviticus 14, 1 through 9. Um, you think of Leviticus, uh, it's a hard book to read through. A lot of rules, a lot of laws. Um, this is the only one we're going to be reading today. But um, this is God's word, listen. This is some of the laws dealing with leprosy. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleaned two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleaned of the leprous disease." Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleaned shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. Okay, those are the first nine verses of dealing with, with uh, a person being cleansed of leprosy. Um, it, it actually is 32 verses long. Uh, the other part actually is more intense, but I did not read. Let's look at this. Uh, Let's get the picture here. It doesn't say that the leprosy was was healed by this ritual, but after the person's leprosy is healed, they go to the priest, and this is the, the confirmation. So you've got two birds, one you sacrifice, you dip the other bird in the blood of the first bird. You put them on a stick of cedar. Attach the live bird on the stick of cedar and some hyssop. You take that and you dip it in the blood. You sprinkle it on the guy. And then you turn the live bird loose. Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? We don't do that too much anymore. At least not that I know about. I mean, somebody might call somebody if you did. But... Um, but yeah, what's, what's going on here? 
See, this is just for the, notice this just ends for the first week. It says the first seven days. And after that, you know, there's the, um, the consecration and atonement. And that's the biggest part of the ceremony. The person is considered to be clean of leprosy here, but then they go through the other part later. Okay, the, the, the two birds you've got, okay, the leprosy was a death sentence. You're going around away from civilization. If you see anybody, you're just yelling, unclean, unclean, don't come near me, I'm leprous, I'm dead. That's what the dead bird symbolizes. This person who had leprosy is dead. The live bird is the flight to freedom from being cured of this leprosy. Then after the, after the week is up, then you have more sacrifices, you know, more animals, and um, a lot more blood and for the consecration and atonement. And notice... In the New Testament, when Jesus healed the man of leprosy, what did he tell him? I'll read Luke 5, 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. This was still going on in Jesus' time. This actually is... One of the most extreme rituals that I think that there is in the law. The law is separating death and life. Leprosy was death. And notice here, in this Psalm 51.7, they're modeling it after this psalm relating to leprosy, which is death. There, the other, there's one other ritual which is pretty close to this. It's if you you come in contact with a dead person or the bones, or, or if you're in the, a tent when somebody, with somebody else and they die someplace else in the tent. That ritual is just as involved as this. Death is involved again. In fact, the other ritual, it actually goes on for the people who are not contaminated by the death, but who actually are part of the ritual to purify the person who was contaminated. It's a pretty serious thing. This is the most serious ritual. And uh, I mean, we, we all know of the, of the Passover, you know, what, what uh, God did there. So I, I guess I should say a little bit about, you notice, you know, it's, it's purge me with hyssop. The leprous person doesn't, didn't heal himself in Jesus' time. We don't heal ourselves either. Notice God is a subject, I am the object. I read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We don't do it to ourselves. God calls us. And um, all of us have to be cleaned. The, the whole, so much of the Bible is about 
cleanliness, clean, 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 clean. Every place you see, you've got, you've got the separation, the, basically the holy from the profane. But um, I mean, there are three or four books of the Bible that are almost completely that, and every book refers to it in one way or another. Notice when, at the Last Supper, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, remember what Peter said, John eight thirteen eight. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You all need washed. And then this Psalm of David, he says, purge me with hyssop. You know, what is hyssop? Truthfully, there's nobody really knows. Um, when I started studying it, the people in the 1800s knew a lot more than we do. <laughs> well, they thought they did. <laughs> but um, we know it's probably a type of majorum that's related to thyme and oregano and mint. It's, it's a plant that has a lot of you know, hairy structures on the side. It has, has a lot of stalks, and liquids stick, stick to it. So hyssop was used. Like, hyssop was used for the, for the Passover. You took, they took the blood, and they put it on both doorposts and on the lentil. It said, use hyssop, so you can have it stick to it. So, you know, David says, you know, purge me with hyssop. He's saying, clean me completely. I want to be purged completely. Not just a token. Purge me. Clean me. He's begging God in this psalm. Um, purge, me, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Man, clean was a dirty word when I was a kid. Some people probably think it still is, in my case. You know, clean, you know, really, what is it? It's the way it's used, it's separation from what's impure, basically. But it's, it's David's calling here for a righteous status before God. What does it take to make me clean? Um, the, the word... Actually, and the, the Hebrew and the Greek both, their words parallel here. There are three classes of words used for clean. One's for things that are clean, one's for things that are unclean, and one's for things that are being made clean, but there's not one for things being made unclean. That's, that's easy to do. You don't need too many words for that. And, uh, but, so if it's a righteous status before God, you know, every unclean thing disqualifies you know, from sharing God's presence. The, the, in the Old Testament, people lived out the symbolism. They did these rituals. Someone who was healed of, of leprosy, they really didn't get the two birds and the two goats or sheep. And they went through the whole ritual, all eight days. They, were, and they came from death to life. But, uh, you know, every unclean thing disqualifies 
from sharing God's presence. But see, the covenant that God made was that he would dwell among the people. But his requirement always was their obedience. That was their part of the bargain, too. You can look at it, and, and when, uh, when Joseph and Jacob and Abraham, when they all talked towards the end of their life and passed, gave their, their last words to their heirs, they all mentioned this because that was the, that was the covenant. Um, you know, part of it, too, like you know, prep, for preparation for Passover, you know, there's a lot of cleaning involved there. I only know about it from people telling me about it, but I mean, getting rid of all the yeast in your house, the things that have yeast, and all the other cleaning that goes along with it too. There's always a separation between the unclean and the clean, the profane and the holy. And like we talked about with the case of leprosy, it's separation between life and death. God gives us the words of life. Now, we, we talked about you know, how God cleans us. We don't clean ourselves. We don't, when we're dead, we don't make ourselves alive. We, that, that's within, not within our power at all. If you're dead, you're dead. It, it doesn't come from us. Our righteousness does not come from us. And uh, I want to read something from Romans here. When Paul is writing about this, he's, he's talking about, about the, he starts off talking about the Jews and righteousness. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged all that, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And this is, this is the indictment, you know, from the fall. No one is clean. And, uh, you know, when Jesus walked the earth incarnate, he had a lot of interactions with scribes and Pharisees. People who, it sounds like many times, they, they thought they were clean. Um, I'll read a couple of verses from, from Matthew. This is, just, this, this is repeated several times through the Gospels. Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Wow. <laughs> so we, we can say, yeah, yeah, those, those scribes and Pharisees, yeah. Forget them. Then he goes on in Matthew 5.20. He's not talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He's talking to his disciples. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How's that? I mean, the scribes and Pharisees, what were they doing? They, they had all these laws. They, they wanted to establish their own righteousness. They thought it was within themselves to do it. And they were driven to do it. Um, so when Christ talked to the scribes and Pharisees, he's not saying forget about righteousness. He's demanding real righteousness. And this is the, this is the part, we won't spend much time on it, but it's actually the most important part. How do we achieve this righteousness? Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. I'm just going to read one, well, two verses, consecutive verses. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's talking about Jesus. He's reconciled us in his body through his death. He paid the price. Um, I'll tell you, you know, brothers and sisters and friends, that's the best news in the Bible. We have the atonement. And going back to Psalm 51.7, What did David understand about the atonement? He's saying, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I mean, he was thinking of the leprous person who was cleaned, the person who had come into contact with a corpse. But, but he knew, he still knew that God could clean him. He knew that was part of the promise that God always made. Going, going back from the beginning. Um, in fact, you can go back into Genesis. And uh, I think it's chapter 3. But, um, I mean, this, this is the good news. Well, and then with the the second part, the parallel part of this verse, you know, is purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Okay, well, we talked about what purge meant. Well, I mean, wash really means what we think of it in English. You're separating, removing the dirt or contamination from something. Wash your clothes, wash your dishes, wash your car. You're getting the dirt off. So wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Whiter than snow. That's kind of relating to appearance, isn't it? Um, but when you, I mean, what does it take for something to be white? You have to have light. How white is snow in pitch darkness? Does it look white? That's not what we see, is it? So I'm going to talk about light a little bit before we start talking more about whiteness. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, we talk about walking in the light. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Walking in the light. Notice it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. He's talking about us, the body of Christ. Um, if we're not walking in the light, um, we, don't, we don't have righteousness. We don't hide from the light. So now let's, let's talk about whiter than snow. I mean, snow is pretty white. I mean, I remember, let's see, it would have been um, 62. 1962, we moved from Tucson, Arizona to Anchorage, Alaska in February. Um, Several hundred miles through Canada on unpaved road. That road was not paved in 1962. Um, I had, before we lived in Arizona, my dad was in the Air Force. We lived in Morocco. I never saw snow in Morocco. You know, I saw some sprinkles of snow in Arizona. It was so thin, it didn't really look that white. But man, going through the mountains in Canada and into Alaska, that snow was white. In fact, one of the things I learned back then, see I was in third grade, is that Eskimos, you could call them Eskimos back then, they had the first sunglasses. They, 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 it looks like they'd had them for a couple thousand years. About the time of Christ, they had sunglasses. I mean, the Romans had some glasses that they, they wore. They were just stones that were translucent. But they didn't wear them to, to protect their eyes from the sun. But the Eskimos, they had sunglasses so they could see where they were going. Go get that walrus <laughs> or that caribou or whatever. 
I mean, their sunglasses were basically um, made out of anything they could find, you know, you know walrus tusk, um, sometimes the baleen from whales, driftwood. You go very far north in Alaska, the only wood you're going to find is driftwood. <laughs> um, basically, the, the glasses, they, would have, they were flat, and they had a hole on both sides, and they could put a thong through there to tie it behind their head. And they just had a, a narrow slit for each eye. That, those were their sunglasses. The sun, the snow was pretty white there. Um, if you think about it, I mean, you know, we, you know, we, we use snow as our reference for whiteness. For like, why, why do you call snow white? Snow white. How much whiter than that are you going to get? So he says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Well, why is snow white? Why is the substance snow, why is it actually white? I mean, if you look at ice, unless it has air or something in there, it's not really white, is it? You look at the ice and it's kind of translucent. It's not white. And uh, snow is made out of all these ice crystals. And if you look at an individual ice crystal, it's not white either. But when you look at snow, you see white. Really, really white. Until it gets dirty. But, um, you know, water is, in, is kind of an interesting thing. With, with snow, with ice... Since ice is translucent, some of the light reflects off the surface of the ice, and some of it goes through. It doesn't go straight through because of the, the structure of the water molecule. It's diverted, and it can reflect also on the inside other angles of the ice. So it's, it's bouncing all over the place, and it, 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 um, it absorbs some of the energy too, some of the light energy, but it only absorbs about... 10 to 20%. In Alaska, it's, it's, it's going to be 10% or less because of the angle, the incident angle. But So most of the light comes back. And it's still, it's still white because it, uh, it treats... Most of the visible light is reflected the same way. I mean, it does, it does absorb a little more red than anything else, but it's, it's not that different. Well... So as this light's bouncing around, instead of it, I mean, when you, you know, we know that water can separate light into colors. Look at a rainbow. We won't go into that, but, but it can happen. But it doesn't happen with ice. Instead, it, 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 you have white light, and it goes through, and it comes back, and it's white, and it's bright, and it's blinding. Um, so, it, so that means it's... it's it's really reflecting pretty well. But if you think about it, other things that reflect well, a mirror reflects pretty well. And at the right angle of water, you can see it reflecting pretty well. You see pictures of a mountain behind a, a lake, and you can see the reflection of the mountain on the lake. Why don't you see a reflection on snow? When you look at snow, you don't see a reflection. You see snow, in, um, like you see, see snow in front of trees or something, Look at the snow and it's white. You don't see the reflection of the trees. 
You see the light, the pure light. Um, what I'm trying to get at here is that, you know, God is light. And he is the truth. And when he makes us white, if we're, if we're as white as snow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this a little bit. What, what reflects off of the snow isn't contaminated by stuff that's hit something else and bounced off the snow. You don't, you don't see that. I mean, light from other things does hit the snow. But when, well, when it reflects back to you, it's, it's white. You don't see the image. When God cleans us, when he cleans us completely, we are going to be white like snow. We're, we're going to reflect his light. That's what we're going to, we're going to be white. This, this, is, this is what's part of the promise here. Now, you know, yeah, I know that this psalm you know, has a metaphor. But you know what? The language is inadequate it, it can't encompass the truth of God's word. It's more than what I'm trying to describe. It's more than I can describe. It's so much more than that. I don't know how much more than that. I can't imagine how much more. But it's more. And, and I want us to see this and, and just give glory to God. That he does, he does purge us and he does clean us through the, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But, um, you know, only, only the word, you know, you, you talk about what's in, it's inadequate. There is one word that is adequate, the logos, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Only Jesus can encompass the truth of God's word. We know that he is the truth. And I want us to look at that. Now, you know, I remember, I mean, a lot of people, like if you're reading through, especially Leviticus, and you look at all these rules, and look at the Pharisees, and what they did, they tied their dillment and come in, and, um, and they counted the number of steps that they'd walk on a Sabbath, and they did all these things. They were so bound by these rules that they were trying to follow. I mean, they were trying to follow God's rules too, but, but God was separate from their following him. They weren't following him because of God. They were following him because that was the way they were going to make themselves righteous and themselves pure. So when you think of this, I mean, some people are going to look at this and say, yeah, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Man, I'm glad we don't do those crazy things today. Well, um, I don't know the lingo today, but you ever heard the saying, it takes one to know one? It takes a thief to know a thief? You know, it takes a musician to know a really good musician, too, what's involved. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I have OCD. You know, I take medicine for it eh, about every four hours and 12 minutes, as needed. Um, 
Really, it's once a day. <laughs> but um, yeah, as needed would be a bad prescription. And this is not obsessive compulsive disorder. Not at all. Um, you know, obsessive, I mean, the, the word in English, it, it originally came from besieged or something that was controlled from the outside. What controls us to be holy from the outside? That's not our bent at all. So strike the obsessive. Compulsive? I pray every day that God will make me compulsively worship and obey him. I want, I want that to be compulsive. The biggest part is disorder. Obsessive compulsive disorder it is completely the opposite. God calls us to the only order that matters. Everything else is disorder. God calls us to order. I mean, I should, I should say that, you know, how I identify myself or a doctor identifies me, it doesn't matter the slightest bit. What matters is is how God identifies me. Um, I'll I'll read a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And uh, I think of, you know, some of the last words of King David. I want to close with this. You know, right, right when he was dying, he couldn't, he could barely hear, he couldn't see very well. His son, Adonijah, he was leading a rebellion to take over the throne. I mean, David had a lot of trouble in his life with his kids, other things too. But uh, Solomon was the one God had chosen to be king after David. But Adonijah was taken. He already had the men assembled. They were gathering together to anoint him. And then so a prophet went in and... Uh, told David what was going on. Right after he heard this, right on his deathbed practically, here's what he said. I'm only going to read the the first verse of it. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. If David can say that, so can we. As the Lord lives, he redeems our soul out of every adversity.